0: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Hey, everyone. You know the guest of today's flashback episode from the OC, Heart of Dixie, her weekly podcast, Broad Ideas, and a lot more. Here's Rachel Bilson.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified
3: with your host, Anna Ferris.
2: Oh, hi. Hi, babe. Oh, it's so good to see you.
1: (gasps) It's so great to see you. How are you doing? I'm good. How about you? Good. (laughs) For our listeners, I met you maybe five or six months after I moved to Los Angeles.
2: Yeah, you definitely had just gotten there. And for
1: me, it was completely surreal meeting you and your friends. <sighs> you guys were all stunning, and you guys were all really fucking friendly oh. and kind. <laughs> And it Aww. made me feel included in a very, to me, what was a very intimidating
2: crowd. So thank you, Rach. <laughs> well, Ana, it wasn't hard. We loved you so much. That's so sweet for you to say that. <laughs> we grew up together. And I feel like when you're from LA, it's a little different than coming in. And we've sort of stuck to that bond with each other. Are you still really close with all of the girls? Yep. Leah and Olivia. Yeah. And I talked to V and yeah. Oh my God. Will you send my love? I will for sure. I know. I talked to Veronique the other day and I told her I was going to talk to you. She's like, oh my God. Then Olivia, of course, everyone sends their love. <laughs> yeah, please send it back because I only
1: have the fondest, but also like surreal moments. <laughs> I mean, Rachel, in Seattle, my acting community consisted of, I don't know, maybe two 62-year-old dudes. <laughs> It infused the idea of pursuing acting, which I'd already committed to, but with energy for me, I guess, being around you guys. Mm -hmm. And to me, it felt like one of the few times that I was on the brink of being in with a really cool crowd. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm 44. I shouldn't be, like, admitting this shit. That's really sweet, though. Okay, so I wanted to ask you about identity and motherhood. Okay. When I had Jack, I was 35, and I really thought that the town would start to identify me as a mom, and I would start getting
2: mom-type roles. Right. And then I did a show called Mom.
1: (laughs) So maybe I was right. You weren't
2: wrong, yeah. (laughs) I think in our industry, you know, the whole kind of stigma with being a mother— I did that show, Heart of Dixie, and I worked up until 37 weeks pregnant with my daughter, which was crazy. And they were so gracious and great. But it kind of brought up for me, not so much the identity thing, but more the void in our industry to support the women who want to have children and who have kids. And I think that's a bigger issue of like providing maternity leave and daycare and like all these other things that go into it. That's where my mind goes with being a mom in the industry. Yeah. It was never, oh, I'm just going to play a mom now. I'm more like, let me play a mom now. (laughs) But yeah, it was super interesting to see. And my co-star Jamie King at the time had a kid during production. I think they gave her six weeks and she had a newborn on set. And I don't know if that happened with you, if you had Jack on set as a newborn, but I can't imagine what that's like because I took three years off after I had Briar. Yeah, I can't imagine either. I don't know if I would like that. I could not do it. I want to be in bed. Yes, in bed with your new baby and not having to do anything but that.
1: (laughs) So Rachel, before I do podcasts, I'll do like some research and look up like YouTube videos if somebody's done interviews lately. And on your interview, I think that you did a few months ago, Uh the journalist asked you a question that I never had a fucking answer for, which was, so what is your kid up to these days? Oh, I was asked that when I was doing press for mom because Jack was also little. Yeah. I never knew what to say. Right. And it always made me feel like a bad mom that I didn't have some really funny anecdote about like something adorable that he was up to.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it's easier to answer having been in a pandemic <laughs> because you're just with your kid 24-7 or I have been, you know, and there's just like so many little things that you never had to do before. So you're like, oh, actually there are some things going on. <laughs> so in that case, yeah, or I just bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I'm not great
1: at that part, but
2: I do think that it's
1: been really wonderful in that way that this is the longest, most intense time I've spent with Jack because I haven't been working and it has been awesome.
2: Yeah, it's like as hard as it was and has been just being grateful for the time that, you know, like who's home. All the time, especially with what you do. So it's been really nice. And my daughter's name is Briar and we had been doing on screen kindergarten. She just started kindergarten this year, which is like, I think such a hard age to have a child engage with a computer all day. Totally. But I just sent her in person this past week and she is in heaven. Was she just totally excited? There weren't like any tears or anything? No, I think in a way the pandemic helped in that way that kids are just so excited to go to school. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're like, oh my God, other children. (laughs) because they've been so isolated that it's working in our favor because I think had it not been her home all the time and experiencing it that way she would have been terrified and school would have been like a traumatic transition yeah Jack is the same way he can't wait to go back yeah which is awesome yeah okay what was your living arrangement like when you first lived on your own I went to college for a semester so I I don't really count And then Leah, you know, and I moved into my aunt's condo that used to be my great-grandmother's condo by the Hollywood Bowl. And that was probably around the time where we met you. Yeah. We just have the best memories there. I mean, it was just insanity, like 19 and 21. (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't mean to
1: embarrass you, but you and Leah are like the most gorgeous people. Oh, my God. Your whole circle (laughs) of friends was like, I am in the OC. (laughs) Oh, my God. But so I bet you guys had a blast. We had fun. All right. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be?
2: You know, I've never done New York. It's always been this kind of hoop dream of mine to at least experience it. I mean, I'm from L.A. and I have never left. I mean, I spent a lot of time in Canada with Briar's dad when we were together. So I've had that experience. Vancouver or? Outside of Toronto. So East Coast. Okay. Which the winters are horrendous. <laughs> so when you were up there, was that like Hayden shooting or were you shooting? No, he's from there. He has a farm outside of Toronto. So that's just where we spend a lot of our time. Oh, I was thinking like if he was
1: working or if you were working, it can be a lonely existence.
2: Yeah, you're alone and with the kid. I mean, I definitely did a little bit of that while we were still together. But that's kind of, I guess, what you do when you have a partner and a kid and you have to, like, figure it out. But you're right, it can be super lonely. When you made the decision to separate, mm-hmm. I
1: don't know why. This is something that just occurred to me, kind of. Mm-hmm. I never really worried about Jack not having his two biological parents raising him together. Right. He and my fiance have the most amazing relationship. They're really close. Mm
2: -hmm, And when mm -hmm. I was
1: interviewing for schools, I remember the administrator saying something about divorce having this negative effect on kids. And I thought about how happy Jack was, and I smiled, which probably looked a little crazy. (laughs) And I really had
2: no idea what they were talking about, I guess. Oh, wow. I mean, it's kind of funny you're in like a school interview, and it's coming up. I know. You know, my parents got divorced when I was nine, so I grew up in a similar situation. So for me, seeing that I was okay, I kind of always felt like she would be okay. Did that give you perspective on what things to say to
1: her? I mean, Jack was… Four. And he's surrounded by a lot of happy, loving people all the time.
2: Which is the most important thing, for sure. Yeah. Briar wasn't even three. We did a lot of stuff together throughout the separation and everything. And for me, I always put her first. And I know Hayden always puts her first. You know, co-parenting, you try your best and you hope that you're doing it right. Yeah. And as long as your kid feels loved and seems okay, I feel like that's just the most important thing. Completely. It's interesting. I was thinking last night about
1: my first husband, Ben, who, you know, mm-hmm. you might be one of the very few people I think that like is one degree of separation with Ben.
2: <sighs> we were so young. I mean, how old were you when you married him? I was 27. Yeah, you were young. Yeah, I didn't really
1: experience life in Los Angeles without him. Right. And I don't regret a ton at all, but he was like the security for me while I put myself out there like auditioning all over town or whatever. Mm -hmm. I felt like it was a check mark to have that part crossed off the list. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Even though I think I was really unhappy. (laughs) You know how people will tell you like, God, you seem so much happier. And you don't even realize. You don't realize
2: it. A lot of times, a lot of people don't realize things until they're out and can look back. And you're like, oh, in any situation, really. So it's interesting how you have tunnel vision when you're in it.
1: I know. <laughs> Do you mind my asking, did you and Hayden break up during your engagement? Or was it like a
2: breakup and then kind of like a slow drizzle breakup? It was a breakup. So then we weren't engaged, but then we got back together and never got engaged again. But then had Briar in that time before we officially split.
1: Did you feel the pressure of the wedding planning when you were engaged?
2: I was just excited. One of my very best friends had just gotten married. So I was all in that world of like, oh my God, that was so fun and doing it with her and planning it with her. So I got caught up in all of that. And I was super excited. That was definitely the feeling. I mean, I was 27. Yeah. So that must've been really devastating for you. Yeah. Any breakup and when it's that serious and intimate and everything, it's not going to be easy. (laughs) For me, I think after every breakup,
1: at some point, I realized that there were a lot of things I ignored that I really shouldn't have.
2: Right. In hindsight, it felt like, oh, my hand was forced. Is that actually what happened or is that like your story, you know?
1: That's a great question. I don't think it was ever an independent decision.
2: Right. But it also made the breakups less
1: jarring Mm -hmm. because somewhere in me, the seed had been planted. Uh, Yeah, I feel like those things
2: always kind of build for a while. Were your family and friends supportive of you breaking up? Yeah, I mean, I have a very strong group of support and love. They just want the best outcome for everybody. Did that ever take you by surprise? I felt
1: surprised a little bit, although I don't know why I should, with how supportive people in my life
2: were and are. Yeah. You know, I had one of my ex-boyfriends tell me like how ferociously my friends love me and are protective of me and how terrifying that is. (laughs) But that's a good feeling to know that that's extended family and they have you as much as your actual family does. Because I didn't have a close group
1: of girlfriends, I think it stunted me in a lot of ways. (laughs) One of them being that I never talked about any issues. Interesting. So to the people, even that I was closest to, I'm sure things were more transparent with my relationship with Ben. Mm -hmm. But with Chris, I think that we both protected that imagery. Right.
2: Even within our close circles. Well, that makes sense. You know, especially the two of you and... There would be a lot of opinions, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Rachel, I think I need a tight group of ladies.
2: Okay. Would you say you've experienced
1: heartbreak at other times in your life? Yeah, for sure. How many times?
2: I'd say two real heartbroken times for sure. But I'm grateful for them because it has made me really grow and do the work and feel like strong and good. You know, I've done the work. I feel like I've earned happiness, all that stuff. Yeah. But for sure I have.
1: I really liked turning 40. I really liked turning 30 as well. I got divorced at both 30 and
2: 40. Are you serious? Yeah. You're like, up oh, new decade. <laughs> Here we go. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lots of transitions. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So my first
1: heartbreak was My high school boyfriend breaking up with me in college. And I felt more than an ache. It felt like a stab. Yeah, like a death inside you. (laughs) Yeah. I could also funnel anger. Mm -hmm. But there was also a lot of confusion. And then I kind of realized that my heartbreak was not about him at all. He was sort of almost arbitrary. I think at that time, I mean, I was 17. And I was just so thrilled that a cute guy liked me. He gave me a promise ring.
2: (laughs) Yes, very serious. No, I get it. You guys were getting married. Yep.
1: But I knew that I wasn't (laughs) going to marry him. I think I did, at least. I was never a person that dreamt about a wedding.
2: You never saw yourself getting married?
1: No, I saw myself getting married because I really like commitment. I feel like I'm well-suited for intimacy. But, oh my God, Rachel, I totally lost my train of thought. We're moms.
2: It's what we do. Right? Don't you feel that all the time? Oh, completely. You're just like, why am I in here? (laughs) What was I doing? (laughs) It's nonstop. But yeah, one of my friends had like a book. She
1: had her like dress picked out. She didn't have the guy yet, but that was the trajectory she wanted. Right. And I was never like that. Where were you in that arena?
2: I was definitely not the girl that had all the pictures and the dresses. I mean, when it came to be, you know, because Hayden and I were engaged, I was all about it. But it wasn't something as a young girl growing up I dreamt about. It was always an idea, you know, you have as a girl, like growing up having a family, the husband, the whole thing, but not detailed like I didn't have my venue.
1: (laughs) Rachel, we were talking to this woman she is engaged and wanted to call off the engagement, essentially, but kind of wanted permission. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like calling off an engagement is a smarter, stronger, braver move Yeah, than what I did, which was like, well, I guess everyone's expecting this. So let's just go through with it.
2: <laughs> oh, is that how you felt? Yeah. That's hard because that's living your life for other people and not really listening to yourself. I think it takes a lot of maturity and going through things and that growth to get to a place where you feel confident enough to stick up for what you want and you believe. I like that. Thank you, Rachel. Okay, so Rachel, do you have a favorite movie that you could watch over and over? Do you know what, on and I'm not even bullshitting you, my favorite movie of all time is Just Friends. Really? <laughs> Ask anyone. It's my Christmas tradition. No Christmas goes by without watching it. You are so phenomenally incredible. In that movie, you're my favorite of all time. Shooting the movie was turkey because we were in
1: Regina in the middle of winter. Oh my God. I think it was like negative 20 for most of the shoot. Like the cameras kept freezing up. They had to stack these massive barrels of hay
2: up against our trailers so the power wouldn't go out. Oh my God, that's insane. It was really cold. What an experience. Yeah, so when his car is frozen over, it was
1: real. I know, and Ryan is just wearing like a thin sweater outside. He's Canadian though. He's like, yeah, bring it on. This is nothing. I loved playing that role. I loved working with Ryan. It was so delicious to be such a fucking insane brat.
2: It's my favorite of all time. And you and that... That role. Thanks, Rachel. <laughs> I swear you can look up anywhere. I have said it so many times. <laughs> I would love to play her again. I keep thinking
1: like where is Samantha B? Like what's she up to? Yeah, you should do it. Okay, you can star as the assistant to Samantha James. Oh my god, can we please do that? <laughs>
2: It'd be so so fun.
1: <laughs> okay. What is your relationship like with social
2: media? I recognize what it's useful for, especially with what we do. I don't like the negativity that comes along with it or the things that kind of make you look at other people and their situations and makes you feel a little down. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to get
1: across like a dynamic message in any way. You're like forced with these constraints and it feels so easily like misconstrued if I want to play in that arena. Yeah. You
2: have to be very careful and filtered and yeah it's terrifying. Yeah. Anything you say, it's like, (laughs) oh, (laughs) but you know, I don't spend too much time or maybe that's a lie. (laughs) Okay. What was the best advice you've ever been given? My mom has a quote. She's always told me that it's none of my business what other people think of me. And I feel like that really helps, especially in this area because there's so many opinions and so much judgment and so many people are invited to kind of look in on your personal life.
1: I like it because it's almost like the messaging in that is a little aggressive towards oneself. Yeah, it's none of my business.
2: Right. No, you take kind of like a tougher stance. At my grandmother's funeral, her best friend, there was a diner after, I'm in the bathroom, you know, and I'm crying or whatever. And her name's Minnie. And she walks up to me and she says, Oh, honey, I'm so sorry about your grandma. And I'm like, I know, you know, crying, crying. And she's like, "Ah, Well, what are you going to (laughs) do? And like walks out. So literally, my entire family, it's what we say to each other when anything is happening. We're like, "Eh, What are you going to (laughs) do? And so I live by that as well.
1: <laughs> that like kind of touches on something that I really like about being in my 40s. Uh-huh. A little bit of like, do I have the ability to sort of remove myself emotionally with things that I can't change? Right. It's not exactly applicable with death <laughs> and grieving. <laughs> no. You know, it's all the same wheelhouse
2: of feelings.
1: What can I ignore? Yeah. <laughs> what can I suppress? <laughs> Everything, it turns out. Everything. It's worked really well. <laughs> yeah.
2: i with you.
1: (laughs) I like that advice a lot. Okay. So what talents or ability would you most like to have?
2: These are tough questions. Maybe to be a more confident singer. Well, you're
1: a beautiful singer.
2: Oh, gosh. Come on, give us a tune, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, that's my biggest thing is like so fearful of like exposing myself in that way. <laughs> I'm
1: terrified of accents. Really? Yeah, because I haven't done them pretty much ever. But a lot of things also. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I knit hats now, Rachel. <gasps>
2: You knit? Is that something you took up this past year? Yeah. I have a ton of poorly made <laughs> hats.
1: If you ever want one, they're pretty cute.
2: <laughs> I do. That is so cute. I've always wanted to take up knitting, but I've been so intimidated.
1: It's really easy. <laughs> <laughs> but turns out it's like good for me to have like a tactile activity.
2: Interesting. Yeah. No, I get it. I've heard people say that. The
1: only thing I know how to make are these hats and scarves.
2: <laughs> okay. So what is a trait you dislike in others? I dislike liars, even when people lie because they think it's protecting you. Yeah. Which, in the long run, you know, is just way worse.
1: (laughs) I don't lie frequently. Mm -hmm. So, when people lie to me, I believe everybody. Right. And when people have sort of like a covert agenda. Yeah. I just don't quite understand that level of communication. And to me, in my life, it's happened most frequently, I think, with some women in my life. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I'm always really slow on picking up if somebody is a manipulative person and kind of poisonous in my life. Yeah. I'm really bad at detecting (laughs) that. (laughs) (laughs)
2: I mean, I think in a ways that's probably better because I'm sort of the opposite where I'm immediately like, are you really telling the truth? I have a good read on people too. And I'm pretty much 95% of the time within the first meeting of someone and hang out with someone, I can kind of figure out who they are. Yeah. I think I've just been lied to enough to be kind of on that other side where I'm like, "Mm, I'm not so sure.
1: What is a trait you dislike in yourself?
2: I'm an overthinker and I've gotten so in my head that it can make me a little anxious and paranoid about things instead of just being present and not going 10 steps ahead. And it's hard to do. Totally. Yeah. And I think I was trained by my mom to do that. <laughs> uh huh. She's more
1: comfortable worrying about something right. than not. Right. She'll like call me and be like, did you take your vitamins?
2: Are you wearing enough sunblock? I hope I don't inherit that. No, I feel like if you've been exposed to that, you're probably way more aware of it to know what not to do in a way. I think it's the opposite for me because my mom's the complete opposite where she's very present in the moment and positive and be here now and all that stuff. So for me, I'm like, oh my God, you know, what's going to happen in this? And then I'm going to have to do this and then tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. We're
1: also in an industry where we're unemployed regularly. Right. (laughs) So it's really hard to not worry about the future.
2: Completely. And you know, you have a family, son, all of it definitely plays into it. And for myself as a single mom, you know, you're always thinking of those things. Yeah, completely. So Rachel, you are like officially single. Yeah.
1: What is your comfort level with being single?
2: I have learned to be alone and to be able to be happy alone has gotten me to this place where I can finally enter a new thing and feel completely okay no matter what happens. So for the first time, I'm not 10 steps ahead. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's just do this and see what happens. And that's new for me. So it's super exciting. I like it. Well, you seem happy. Yes, yes. That's awesome. So far.
1: (laughs) Okay, so tell me about the OC a little bit. Like, I want to know the head rush of being on the show, your cast. Like, How did they digest that intoxication of being on this
2: hugely popular, now cult, show that lives? A show that has lived on. (laughs) You know, we were all really young when the show started, and it kind of took off pretty quickly. I mean, Nisha... I was only 16 years old, which I can't even imagine being 16 and thrown into that. I was 21. The boys were maybe around 23-ish, 25-ish, a little older, but still it was such a crazy thing to happen. And for me growing up here, I don't think it was as jarring. It was definitely the craziest time, but also looking back, it was just so much fun. Okay. So here's a
1: thought. Yes. There is like the hierarchy on set, your leads tend to have the responsibility of setting a tone. Mm -hmm. And if that isn't in your skill set, if your skill set is being like a good actor and not necessarily embracing of the position of like, oh, it's also important that I show up to work in a good mood. Because I put that pressure on myself. I enjoy it, too. I like assuming that position, probably to an annoying degree. Mm -hmm. But I would imagine that you probably had a different sense of security within yourself.
2: You know what helped? I mean, I was still young, but we were all going through it together. And Adam Brody and I were actually together, you know, in real life as it was going on. And so it kind of helped having someone going through the same thing. Yeah. That could relate to it completely with you. That really kind of kept it grounded. That makes so much sense. We just had Adam on
1: a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So you're starting a podcast. Yes. Welcome to the OC, bitches. (laughs) Yes. I love it. Will you tell us about it?
2: Will you like shit talk, Rachel? (laughs) I think people hope so. So it's fun. It's, you know, we're rewatching all the episodes. And for me, it's kind of looking at it for the first time because it's so long ago. And I don't know if I ever even saw of them. And I don't remember it at all. But I'm doing it with Melinda Clark, who played Julie Cooper, which was Misha's mom on the show and we're just having so much fun reliving it. We're going to bring cast on and behind the scenes and directors and maybe people that were fans of the show. That's awesome. But it's just fun kind of like reliving my youth. Like flipping (laughs) through a yearbook. Completely. Oh, my God. Yeah. But watching the pilot was a little traumatic. I was like, oh, my God, what has happened all these years? And here I am now. It was an emotional journey. (laughs) Did it make you feel emotional? It did, especially this past year, you know, and everything that's kind of happened. And I'm turning 40 this summer and I was 21. And you're like, wow, that was a lifetime ago. Totally. (laughs) When does it launch? I think end of April, the first episode will be up.
1: Okay. And you are enjoying podcasting.
2: I'm getting used to it. I didn't realize I totally went into it just unprepared. I'm like, okay, let's just shoot the shit and whatever. And Josh Schwartz, the creator, came on our first episode and he was like, Bilson, you got to do the homework. You got to step it up a little. Oh. And I was like, what? Josh. I know, but Mindy was so prepared, which was awesome. And I'm kind of just like making the little funny comments here and there. It's really hard to examine your past with condensed, accurate storytelling. Yeah. No, (laughs) Completely. (laughs) And for me, I am doing the research a bit more now, you know, like taking notes when I watch the episode. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, because it probably will benefit me to be a little more prepared. (laughs) But it's also fun.
1: Do people ask you if you would do like a reunion? I bet they do that all the time. Yeah,
2: they ask that a lot. And what I always say, it gave me everything. And I've never lost the gratitude for that. And also Josh is my brother, like best friend. I would do anything with him, but I would never say no because this has given me everything I have.
4: JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: What has been your favorite character that you've played? Oh, I mean, obviously Summer was really fun on the OC I really liked playing Zoe Hart on Heart of Dixie, a show I did. I was a doctor. It was like a fish out of water kind of Doc Hollywood thing. But she was just super fun because I got to be really free and goofy and funny also.
1: And it was your show.
2: You have a greater degree of control, I think, of your own happiness when you're the lead. I mean, we had a great group of people. The actors were awesome. And our showrunner, Lila Gerstein, such a great writer. She wrote on the OC as well. And it was Josh and Stephanie Savage, who they're unstoppable. So it was a really good recipe. It turned out well. I like it. Okay. So we have a
1: game coming
2: out. <gasps> it's Anna Faris, Deal Breakers. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting. (laughs) That is so cool. Thanks.
1: We used to do Deal Breakers regularly. The podcast has changed because of Zoom
2: a bit. But anyway, so I want to ask you some Deal Breakers. (laughs) Please do. I'm so excited. I'm definitely going to get that game. I love games.
1: Oh, we'll, we'll send it to you.
2: Would love that. All right. So
1: how this game works is there's a scenario card and then you choose your Deal Breaker card. Okay. So... Your scenario will be you're deciding whether to meet in person after connecting on a dating app. Okay. When you find out they share custody of their cat with their ex.
2: Oh, I mean, I don't like cats. So that (laughs) might be the thing. (laughs) That might be the thing. No, that's not a deal breaker. (laughs) Okay. You
1: find out they are a porn editor.
2: (laughs) No, not a deal breaker. I mean, a porn star versus porn editor, like, that's a big difference. (laughs) I like your style. Everybody watches porn. What's the difference? Yes. (laughs) You find out
1: they have a sex doll in their car so
2: they can use the carpool lane. I mean, not going to lie, I've thought of putting a blow up person in my passenger seat. Am I just too easy going? Like none of these are deal breakers. <laughs> no,
1: I think the red flag is more of like the length to go to sort of cheat.
2: Yeah, no, I hear you. It's not a good sign. At our age, you have kids, whatever. You probably don't want someone that is going that far just to get in the carpool. I am terrified of getting caught. Oh, I'm the same. Like, I won't jaywalk. I walk to the crosswalk no matter what. And I break a lot of (laughs) rules, but I have, like, this deep fear
1: of authority, and that bleeds into all kinds of things. Okay. (laughs) They have a large taxidermy collection.
2: Oh, that's a little weird. But is it a deal-breaker? No, it's not a deal breaker, but I'm going to ask a lot of questions.
1: I should confess, I do have some antique taxidermy myself. And I did marry somebody with a lot of hunting trophies.
2: I was going to say, because, you know, I worked with Chris on the OC, but I remember his stories of like camping and like a dead possum that wasn't dead, that he ate, I believe. (laughs) Right? Isn't that the story? Yeah. I think this is the story. Yep. (laughs) And went to eat it and then it like woke up. Right? Isn't that something like that? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And that stuck with me and I don't remember anything, but I knew that. I was going to be familiar. <laughs> okay. You're bringing them to a party with
1: all of your friends for the first time. Okay. And you find out that one of their exes has a restraining order against them.
2: Ooh, that's not good. Is it a deal breaker? Let's call it a deal breaker just for like domestic violence protection. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You'd have to know the story, right? I want to know how long I've been dating this person.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot of holes here. So one of the fun parts of the game is coming up with some backstory or reason that makes the deal breaker acceptable. You get extra points. Like his ex kept their shared cat beyond her a lot of time and he saw it walking on the street and took it home.
2: The shadiness is hard to look past, but if they're honest about it when you ask them, I feel like it deserves an explanation. Okay. They only travel by train. <laughs> only travels by train? I mean, where can you even go? You can get to <laughs> Milwaukee. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can hit up some cool
1: rural plains of Canada. Would it be a turnoff, though, if there's like a deep fear of
2: flying? It would be something to definitely have to work through. Why am I not saying any of these are deal breakers? What is this exposing about myself? I think it means that
1: you've been exposed to a lot of different kinds of people. We'll take that. We'll just use that. (laughs) That's what I think. One of the creepy experiences that I thought about during Me Too was before I moved to Los Angeles, this producer from Rochester, New York, saw a short film that I had done and asked me to fly out for a premiere of his movie. Mm -hmm. He produced a movie called Freak Talks About Sex with Steve Zahn. Anyway, I don't know what my parents were thinking. They were like, bye. And I was like, bye, guys. I'm going to Rochester to meet this producer. I guess my career is taken off. <laughs> the whole thing was super creepy. Okay. <laughs> After like three days, I finally understood that he wanted to sleep with me. Ooh. I'm slow. I said, I don't know people like you. The people I know that are your age are my parents' friends. Oh, wow. And I remember feeling so strong in that moment. And his face, like, turned bright red, and he put me on a plane. But anyway, this creepy dude, who since passed, I believe, refused to travel by airplane. Really? Yeah, and I was kind of fascinated by that fear, because it felt like a fear that you let consume you, that cripples you a bit. I just remember thinking, I hope a fear like that doesn't take over my life in that way.
2: Yeah, I think I've done enough work on myself to know that those are the things that you have to do, that you have to face. Yeah. I haven't had any of those that are like that bad where I can't do it, but definitely know people like that. Okay, final one. They have a waterbed. (laughs) I would just throw up like I would get so motion sick on that thing but he loves it that would probably be the deal breaker (laughs) out of everything you said (laughs) it's the (laughs) waterbed no waterbed I would literally throw up (laughs) maybe you can pop it anyway that's our game I love it it's a great conversation starter it's going to be super super popular yeah I hope so I hope so Rachel, I wanted to ask you if you believed in ghosts or aliens. We can go there. Let's tackle that. Ghosts? Sure. In the sense of spirits, I believe in them. Not in like the spooky, scary, or like the Casper way, but in the spirit way. Aliens? It's a little on the fence. Fair
1: enough. <laughs> Rachel, what qualities do you look for now in a partner?
2: You know, I really admire someone that truly shows up for me. And I can see that it's not just about them. You know, being a single mom, they have to care or ask questions about your kid. Then they have to make me laugh. That's a big one. Completely. <laughs> All right. What relationship
1: advice would you give our listeners potentially?
2: I have learned to always trust your intuition, follow your gut, because I have in the past not listened to it. And then in the end, it has shown me I could have avoided a lot of pain and turmoil and all of these things had I done it. I'm so with you. And I think that's an age thing too. And like experience in life that you get to that place. You're like, oh, you should really listen to yourself and trust yourself. Yeah. And put yourself first in a way where when you have these feelings, you feel strong enough to actually follow through. Yes. I love that. I think that's amazing. Okay. When or where are you happiest or most content? You know, I love being a mom so much. And so when my daughter's happy and we're together, there's nothing better for me. Do people ask you if you want other kids a lot? Yeah. Do they ask you? No,
1: not really. It was hard to get pregnant with Jack. I was 35 and then he was born
2: at 31 weeks. Oh, okay. I've been told that I'm high risk. Going through that, you know, Olivia's second child was born a little premature and she really went through it. They were in the NICU for a month. But yes, people do ask me if I would have more kids. And I'm definitely a person that's just like, well, yeah, if it was right. I mean, obviously I'm getting older, so it's something I would potentially be open to. Yeah.
1: So this is a question that I always think is unfair, but people continue to answer it. (laughs) What do you think is
2: the meaning of life? Mm. The meaning of life is being happy and feeling and giving love. I know that sounds so cliché.
1: No, it's beautiful. I mean, what else do
2: we say? <laughs> what else do you have?
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: Rachel, you don't have
1: a joke up your sleeve, do you? I
2: have a joke. I've stuck with this joke since my early 20s. Oh, let's hear it. It's pretty lame. <laughs> I love it. What did the snail say when it jumped on the turtle's back?
1: Not sure. Whee!
2: so stupid. I love it. It's so stupid, <laughs> but I love it. That's just me in a nutshell, I guess.
1: <laughs> Rachel, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. I love you so much, Rachel. I love you too. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye, darling. Bye. Hey, everyone. April Beyer is back, now officially as my much-needed co-host. As you know from previous episodes, April brings great advice, insight, and years of experience. I am so thrilled to have her. Hi,
4: Lori. Can you hear me? Hello. Hi. How are you? Busy. I just escaped from my office. <gasps> I'm in the OR. <laughs> oh, Lori, thank you for taking the time. It's my pleasure. Hi, Lori.
1: Hi, April. <laughs> so, Lori, tell us what's happening.
4: Well, I'm the boss at work. I have five kids. I was the boss at home. I'm boss. I'm the boss. I have a very testosterone-driven personality, and it's just the way I have, I've had to take care of myself since I was young. I do what I need to do, and I think I scare men away because I don't have any I don't need anything. You know, I'm I'm the boss and I end up attracting these really pussy ass men. (laughs) (laughs) They want to be mothered and taken care of. I don't want to take care of anybody else. I need somebody to take care of me when I get home. You know, I want somebody that's kind of macho that says, listen, Lori, I know what you just said, but this is what we're going to do.
1: Like, I'm going to spank you, Lori, and you're (laughs) going to take it.
4: Yeah, girl. And nobody does it. They're like, oh, let's tiptoe around Lori Mm. because she's the boss. So I'm having a little bit of trouble trying to figure out how to make this work.
1: Well, Lori, I think you're in good hands because April deals with a lot of powerful women. I do. What
3: am I doing
4: wrong then, April? Help me.
3: Okay. So Lori, first of all, congratulations on just being an all-around badass, top-shelf amazing woman. Five kids, great career. It's a lot. Do you still love what you do?
4: Very much. My doctors are great. We're doing regenerative medicine, which is kind of COVID treating and- Mm. uh, helping people from all over the world. So it's cool. I love what I do. And I have a plastic surgeon too. So I'm busy.
3: Okay. Fantastic. So, I mean, let's just dive into this right away. I just want to call you out on a couple of things. So I wrote it down. Is that okay, Lori? (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready to be called out. Well, only because when I'm talking to strong, smart women, I know you can take it because intellectually you're going to get it. So this is just an integration thing. You said, I don't need anything, and I quote, and then you followed it up with, but I just want somebody to take care of me. It's so hard when we are in our badassery and strong, smart, capable women, and we're like, but you should just tell me what to do and fight the bear. It's really hard, okay? Yeah. You've taken care of yourself since you were really young. It's why you're the boss now. So a lot of people think that, I'm the boss at work, so therefore I can't leave the boss at work and go home, but it's because we're the boss because we always had to be in some respect. So first, I want to tell you that just because you can take care of yourself and do it all without any support or assistance doesn't mean you should.
4: I would like to not have to take care of everything all the time. But I take care of the doctors, I take care of the staff, I take care of my friends, because I'm the oldest of all of my friends, they come to me for everything, you know, all the time. And I'm happy to do it. I think probably maybe that's why I'm put on this earth is to help people and to be that person. But I'm looking for somebody for the rest of my life that we can complement each other, that I'm not telling what to do all the time. And I need to stop. I get that. But I don't really want to change who I am, because I think I'm pretty awesome. But I want to be able to find a man that that gets that.
1: Lori, it seems to me like you want somebody who finally orders the birthday cake for you.
4: (laughs) Thank you. Instead of ordering my own and going, thank you for (laughs) (laughs) paying for it, I guess. I don't know.
3: But if somebody orders the cake for you and you wanted a yellow cake with chocolate frosting and they do red velvet, like, are you mad?
4: No, I'm never going to give them shit about cake because who doesn't love any kind of cake? (laughs)
3: But I don't think so.
4: I'm a Libra, right? So I'm very whatever. I don't care where we eat. I don't care what we eat. I'll eat anything. I don't care. But just make a decision, somebody, because I'm not really good at it at home. I do it here at work all day long and I'm just tired. I just want to go home and have somebody say, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to go. Let's go here for the weekend. And I'm never going to give them shit about it. I'm not that person.
3: Yeah. So Lori, I would love to ask you if you could give us the traits that make you really good at what you do.
4: Yeah, I'm a multitasker for sure. I can do 50 different things at once. I'm fair as a boss. I think the girls love me. They know that they can come to me with anything, and I'm going to tell them. I'm stern. They're a little bit afraid, like my kids. It's a little bit. Uh, big shoulders for the girls to rely on. I think I'm funny. I think so too.
1: We've known each other for three minutes. Hilarious.
4: I believe it. I think I'm pretty chill. My kids are grown and gone. I have no, there's no drama in my life at all. I don't even have any, I have a dog and she's a little bit of a brat, but that's it. That's my drama.
3: If Anna and I wanted to all of a sudden be in your world and be the boss and handle that OR, and we said, what do we need to do? You would say, well, you'd need to be fair. You'd need to be reliable. You'd need to be a multitasker. you need to have big, broad, wide shoulders for advice and the support knowledge. of others and good knowledge, right? So what makes you think that those traits aren't viable or desirable at home?
4: I think they should be. I've got great men in my life. I have a lot of them, but nobody exactly who I want. You know, one is really sweet and I could roll all over him. One is really which is just not that nice to me. So, because he thinks that's what he needs to be. I'm just having a hard time. I don't know why I'm not fabulous and why I don't have a man in my life.
1: Do you tend to take care of both of
4: those people as well? Not necessarily. They're pretty self-sufficient. I take more care of my friends than I do the man in my life. The men need to find it, figure it out themselves. But my girlfriends, I'm very caretaking.
1: What do you want in a relationship? As you sort of envision your future, what kind of companionship would you
4: like? I would like a really good friend, somebody spiritual, somebody who gets me, somebody who's powerful in their own job, who enjoys what they do. Maybe he's already retired and you know ready to travel the world or do something like that. But I, the men my age want somebody younger. Okay? They don't want an old ass lady that's 59 years old.
1: Lori, it's the same with people my age, too.
4: They're looking for something, always something better. You know, what's on the other side? They don't want to just commit. I'm ready for that. I've been divorced now. I've been married twice. Divorced now, um, I haven't lived with my second husband for 10 years. So I've been alone in L.A. as a single woman for about 10 12 years, something like that. And so I think I'm ready. You know, I've been playing and having fun and doing all of those things. But at 59 years old, I'm going to be 60 in September. I'd like to have somebody to finish my life out with that understands that I'm strong, but yet soft. You know, I want to be taken care of. I don't want to be the boss of them.
1: I think that makes so much sense. I want to see you on a yacht in the Mediterranean that was arranged by your fiance.
4: That's what I deserve, don't you think? Everybody says that. April, in Los Angeles, though, that
3: does feel like a particular challenge. I think that's what people say, and it's certainly prevalent in Los Angeles, but you're just looking for one person. You don't need to appeal to an entire city. And there's good guys in Los Angeles, people who actually want to date, age-appropriate and whatnot. Unless we're going to move, I don't think we should spend any time lamenting because you got to deal with what you're dealing with. Everywhere you go, there you are. So we can't just pick up and move because we're hoping that there's going to be a different dating pool or a different kind of mentality. What I'm most interested in is that you felt that a lot of the alpha men are intimidated by you. Is that true? Or if you find them attractive, what do you do?
4: I love alpha men, you know, somebody strong that gets me. If I find one that I like, keeping them has been the hardest thing because I think I'm too strong. There's got to be an in between. There's got to be. They appreciate my strongness, but yet know how to handle me. I'm allowed to handle, I guess. That's what people tell me. I don't think so, but that's what they say. And maybe men like you to just be waiting around for a phone call or I don't know the game, I guess. It's the game I don't know how to play.
3: Okay. Well, first of all, you no playing games. Like we're all too old for that. So no games. I know. I I just don't do it. But you open with, I'm busy. You know, a friend of mine told me Years ago, April, you got to stop telling all of us friends that you're busy. And I was like, Ugh. it pushes people away from you and it makes everybody think like they're not busy, like you're not the only busy person. So it's a way of keeping people away. So first of all, we got to take the busy word out of our vocabulary. Oh, my God. This is advice for me, too. Do you say that, Anna? Oh, God. Yeah. So first of all, just like the next time that word busy starts to come out of your mouth, just go. Urgh. So if a guy says, how are you doing? You don't have to fake it. You don't have to play a game but you've gotta go away from what I call cover behavior because men are not intimidated by strong, smart, successful women. Never have I ever heard a guy post date say, she was just too smart, she was just too successful. They have said, I can't get in, she's combative, or she's too busy for me, or she has no space and time for me, or I said, I've been here, she said, I've done it better. I have heard those things. So first and foremost, we have to define what you mean by strong. When you say, I guess I'm too strong. What do you think is strong?
2: My
4: personality, I guess. So I'll have a phone date and
3: it never goes well because
4: I'm just me. And I think they expect somebody different. I don't know. I, I say it like it is. I talk. I have a regular conversation and they're just not interested. And I think I'm interesting. I got a whole lot of interesting things to say, but maybe I should listen more and not talk so much. That's something that somebody has said to me.
3: Well, there's a little bit of you, and this is coming from love, Laurie, is that there's a little bit of you that's still trying to prove yourself. You're still that kid having to do everything for themselves and feeling your own value with what you can do for people. It's why you're great with your staff and the doctors and the team. It's why your friends get everything rolled out for them because you actually get juice from this. You get attention and love and affection from your ability to do. And now is the time to just start kicking back more because a relationship needs two people hitting the ball over the net. A relationship needs some air and some space so that this guy who comes into your life can feel his own value by how he can contribute, how he can shift the way you're feeling. You can't just say, I'm busy and I'm this cyclone and I'm this person doing, 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 but I want you to stop me and sit me down and love on me and rub my feet and make me a martini and whisk me up. You can't do that. You actually have to be that person already doing that for yourself when you first meet these people. And listening is powerful. Mm -hmm. Curiosity is what creates connection, not you being impressive. They're going to love your strength, but your strength needs to be in, wow, that woman is so amazing in our life. She is a shoulder-to-shoulder kind of partner. She is somebody that when I fall behind, she can pick up the pieces. And when she falls, I can pick up the pieces because we're co-pilots. So the guy who's looking for you is looking for a capable, strong woman. But you're not just strong because you're opinionated and you know so much. You have to be strong in your care, strong in your curiosity, strong in your love, strong in your affection, strong in your time. That's true strength, not just I'm so bossy and capable, and part of the boss stuff is not trusting.
4: Yeah, I'm terrified, probably. Somebody's going to leave. You know, I always think about that. I don't want to put my heart out there. It's easier to put up a a block than to be open and to get left. Now, I've never been left, (laughs) but I still have that fear. Because you're too good at taking care of people. They don't want to leave. Why would anybody leave, (laughs) right? They don't want to go. Yeah, Because why would you leave Lori's house? Lori's house is awesome. Listen, nobody
3: wants to leave a good thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) April, on First Interactions, what are some basic questions that are good exploratory ideas?
3: Well, I personally think with you, Lori, it's the questions that you need to be doing solo right now. But on a date or on a phone call, The questions would be more, is this guy accustomed to leadership style women? So you want to find out, you know, what was your mom like? You know, how were you raised in that environment? Tell me about your last girlfriend or your wife. You can get cues when somebody says, my ex-wife was, and if the traits sound like you Then you're listening for, is he speaking positively about that, or is he speaking negatively? You want the guy that's already dated you or been married to someone like you, because then they have a prior work experience, and you don't have to train them, and then you know that you can kind of be yourself. But the bigger picture here is that this is a common thread that runs through most successful, powerful women, is they can't seem to find love because they think they're intimidating or too strong or too smart. And I want to just bust this dialogue and this myth because it's hurting people. It's keeping men from being with really intelligent, amazing women. And it's keeping those women single. I just want to crush it because that's not what's happening. And I think for you, it's I'm leadership all day. I make decisions all day. I just want somebody to do for me. But in order to do that, you actually have to create space. So if you're on the phone, if you're on a date... I have a feeling we could give you 20 questions that Anna's asking me for and you could like rapid fire those questions out. I'd much rather see you just sit back and observe and not do so much campaigning because your strength is in you. It's in the way you walk. It's in the way you sit. It's in the voice. So you don't have to tell a million stories and run so hard and so fast to prove yourself. And that's probably what's happening is you say your friends, you do all these things, you take really good care of your friends, probably better than you do men. That's not a good thing. You don't get extra points for that. You got to be treating your friends the same way you treat your family, the same way you treat your lovers. Like everybody gets the same kind of treatment because you're one woman 24-7. And so you have to start with your friends first and say, okay, my friends benefit from all the, the care I give but how am I benefiting? What do they give to me? Is the only thing they're giving you the celebration of you for all you give? Because then you're already setting yourself in a pattern of doing that. And by the time you get to a guy, of course, you're not taking care of him well enough and offering space and time because you're so busy at work and you're so busy taking care of friends that there's nothing left. Now you're in this entitlement stage of, Do for me, but you're not in the pattern all day, every day in your life of being taken care of.
4: That's really good, really good advice. I need to sit back, listen, and relax. I always feel like I need to entertain you because I can be really entertaining and fun, but I don't need to do that all the time. And I forget that.
3: Not only do you not need to do that, but you've attached your value to being entertaining. You've attached your value to, I'm a doer. I'm entertaining. I'm a one woman show. Instead of saying, I'm valuable because I've of my heart, or I'm valuable because I'm honest, or I'm valuable because the things that make you great at what you do, I'm fair, right? And I love the fact that you said I'm funny and I'm I'm a multitasker and I've got broad shoulders and I give good advice and I'm reliable. You know, I'm stern, but it's because I care. So your sternness has to be filtered into she's strong and stern because it's passion. And a sense of excellence in everything, not because she's just stern for the sake of being mean to people or hard on people, right? So when we speak that way to our staff, we just have to be really, really careful that they're not pummeled in that because it can be overwhelming and defeating, especially for men. Yeah. Lori, how many hours a day are you at work? 10. 10. Okay. So think about our day, right? So we're at work 10 hours a day where you're in the mode of boss. And then there's the drive home, then there's the getting dinner, and then maybe you go to bed around 10 or 11 o'clock at night. How many hours in the day are you in the non-boss mode? It's really hard to say, I'm going to leave the boss at the office because it's part of who you are. I know. I couldn't do it. I can't. My husband likes the fact that he has a partner at the end of the day that can make decisions about our life and our home and our families. I can't just all of a sudden become like damsel in distress. It's impossible. It's physically, emotionally, and spiritually impossible and wrong because you're the boss for a reason. But when we think of boss, we think of I'm boss because I'm telling people what to do instead of I'm boss because I'm a visionary. I'm boss because I'm capable. I'm a boss because I'm a leader. I'm a strategist. That's why we're a boss. We're not a boss because we're mean or cruel or hard or tight with people. That kind of behavior sometimes comes with being a boss, and that's the stuff we have to leave at the office. But the other stuff is impossible to separate. So you can't all of a sudden be this person. And if you meet somebody and let's say he sees you in boss mode or you're driving home from the office and you've been in boss mode all day, you get on the phone, you're still in that pattern and that rhythm. That's why these phone calls aren't going anywhere. They're not going to a date or whatnot. And so there has to be a shift in not I'm going to all of a sudden become wide eyed and 12 years old. No, that's not what we're looking for, right? You have to stick with what you know, stick to your lane, (laughs) so to speak. But just lose the trappings that come with boss because they are trappings, right? We can get into a bad mode and we just have to be more cognizant of our femininity and our sensitivity as women, right? So that it doesn't overtake who we are. Absolutely. I don't go home and somehow take off my boss hat it would drive me insane and I would be fake. Yeah. I don't think I can. You can't. So don't try, try to find the guy who likes that. You have to add different definitions to what boss and what strength and what leadership and all this stuff is because you kind of get off a little bit on the, I like to tell people what to do and I tell them this and then I give them a hug. It's very maternal and It doesn't work with men. We don't want to boss them and then give them a hug at the end because that's what their mothers do. So you're watering down the male-female sexy dynamic there. I used
1: to think that I wasn't enough of a giggler. What? You? (laughs) Like my girlfriends, I guess, would just giggle more. Their kind of flirtation was a little more receptive as opposed to me performing.
3: Maybe it's really just... What are our behaviors that cover up who we are? My mother used to say when I was young, you don't flirt enough. You're too this, you're too that. You're not flirty enough. And I think she was actually speaking to that receptive energy, Anna, you were speaking of. But it worked out just fine. Like, we're all okay. I just keep coming back to the word trust. And if we think our value in life is one thing, then in our dating life, we're going to keep hitting our head against the wall Because that's our perceived value, right? Or that's what we do to cover up some of our vulnerability. And vulnerability isn't, here's all my stuff. Vulnerability is just not covering your stuff up. It's just being a little bit more okay with yourself. If you don't call your friends and say, here's where we're having brunch on Sunday, does it even happen?
4: Usually not. See?
3: (laughs) You got to start with those women right now, today. No plans with them the next 60 days you let them call see see so you hear your voice you're like ah you went into fear and scarcity mode because you're so accustomed to doing everything because that's where you think you're worthy that's where you think your value is
1: but april what if her friends don't pick it up at all because they're so used to the pattern i mean i have a dear friend who is a caretaker like lori She remembers birthdays. She buys presents. She is so thoughtful. She'll pick you up from the airport. She's amazing. And we've had this long friendship, you know, for 20 years. Like, I'm worried that if she did this, I would really hurt her feelings. (laughs) Because you forget? Well, yeah. It's not the roles that we've established over 20 years. I'm not that caretaker. I Admittedly, I think I'm really selfish in our relationship at times. So I'm worried that Lori will feel—I wonder if she could call her friends and say, Listen, I just spoke with Anna and April on her crazy podcast or whatever, and they made this suggestion to me. I want to learn how to receive a little bit better, and my concern is I won't see you guys. and it will feel like you don't love me but i know that you do do you know what i mean april i'm i do worry a little bit about that like can her friends help her a little bit with like okay yeah we're gonna help you start
3: to receive i think it's a great idea it's definitely a route she can take yeah i don't know if it's going to be sustainable because we've cast these people into our life for a reason. They're never going to be the people that pick up the ball and make the plans. It's not the design. It's not, you just said it yourself. It's not the setup. You could say, Lori, just like Anna said, hey, ladies, I'm trying something and I really am. And, and Anna said it best. It's the word receive. Like your word is receive. Every day you got to get up and go receive. Every time you try to do something because you don't trust that it's going to get done or done to your liking, you have to just stop, sit on your hands and go Receive receive, receive. Yeah. So you could do this with these people. I just worry they might be able to do it for like a weekend or something, but I don't know if it's sustainable because it's already been designed. But what you do is you actually create space for a new group of women who are just as proactive as you are and are just as much of a caretaker style personality as you are. And then look out, because then you're consistently all doing for one another. You're supposed to create a hole so that that hole can be filled by more appropriate people for this next evolution of your life. But it takes courage to change a dynamic and a pattern that you've been setting up for your whole 50-something odd years. You've been setting up a dynamic. If you really want to change this, a lot has to change. You've got to change your life holistically, even with staff. You know, getting into the point of, hey guys, you know, I'm not going to hold your hand today because I trust you. I trust you that the training is there. Um, So that if, God forbid, something happens to me tomorrow, everything can run smoothly. Same thing with your friends. It does come down to we don't receive because we're not used to it and we don't ask for it and we don't trust that it'll be there when we do nothing. And a male female relationship can only exist when there is a give and take, because men want to give to you, but they can't because you actually haven't carved out any air or space. You just expect them to see you moving like a train and then go, oh, oh, stop. I'm going to do for you. But that's not how it works. We have to show them this when we first meet them and first speak to them. How do you show them, April? Like, how does that manifest itself? Well, first of all, we already started it with like Laurie, I don't know if you can feel this, but you're energetically like you're already different right now as we're talking.
4: I'm taking a breath.
3: Thank you. It's so good because when you started, you were like fam, right? Like, I'm busy. I how we asked you how you're doing. You're like, oh well, I'm busy. I got this. I got I'm amazing. I da 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 You were in the audition and in this like energy of here's why I'm worthy. And I think you're worthy before you even speak a word, right? That you allow us to come to you, that you allow us to care for you. And this happens in the pause. And so right out of the gate, we gave her advice, Anna, because we said, don't ever say I'm busy to a man. You can say, I have work until seven, but don't say, oh, I'm so busy and I'm just do da, 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 right?
4: I say that almost every single time. Well, no wonder it's not working.
3: It's basically like holding up a big red stop sign. Yes. (laughs) Stop, I'm busy.
4: Yes. Like, okay, well then why do I want to talk to you? Why are you even on this dating site? They they asked me all those things if you're so busy.
3: And you said, I don't need anything, but I'm really good at taking care of everybody else. And damn it, I want somebody to take care of me. You said it in the exact same breath. You better start asking yourself what you need. And more than just a companion to travel with. And more than somebody who's just intellectually curious. We think we're going to meet somebody and they're going to all of a sudden create and carve out a life for us. And I believe, like if we're saying, I want respect, but we're not getting respect at any area of our lives, or we're not respecting ourselves, or we want somebody to give us time, but we don't even give ourselves time, or we want somebody to take us on vacation, but we haven't taken a vacation in two years. People have to be witnessing us leading the life that we want. They just have to make it even better, not give us something that we don't have.
1: Just like you were saying, stop sign, stop sign, stop sign, which may be inadvertent, maybe habitual, maybe what you subconsciously desire, but I don't think so. I want you in the Mediterranean getting a massage.
4: I did just get back from Holbox, Mexico. Oh, fabulous. I went by myself all alone. So,
1: April, Lori should not say that she's busy
4: ever. I have worked till seven. I even wrote it down.
3: I've worked until seven. I'm not available on Wednesday, but I have. Friday through Sunday, I'd love to see you. I'd love to connect with you. You don't say, I don't have Thursday. I'm really busy. I've got a lot going on. Uh, How about Sunday? You actually don't offer the other plan. You make your feminine request of, here's when I'm available, if any of that works for you. This is the faith and the trust that I'm talking about that's so necessary in your life because you've got the other stuff covered and you've been running this story for so long and you're exhausted and you're depleted and you want more, but you do have to shift definition. You have to shift how you speak. You have to create an ask in advance. What do I want? How do I want to be treated, right? Because you can't choose to be submissive. You just have to share. You have to create space. You have to inquire. And you have to allow. So receive and allow, or you're like, if you just got up every day and said, receive and allow, receive and allow, it sounds so airy-fairy, but it's true. No, I love
4: it. I love it.
3: This is more about your fear than power, Lori. This is actually just being scared. How good are you at
1: accepting and giving compliments?
4: I'm really good at giving them. No, no, that's a lie. I'm not really good at giving them. I love your self-awareness. It came, what I thought I should say came right out of my mouth, but honestly, probably I don't give them enough. I don't say thank you enough. And I compliments, I don't take them at all. It's terrible. Very hard for me.
1: I think that that might be something to become more conscious of because I think it will open up your heart a little bit. And I like the idea of you starting with your staff as opposed to like complimenting them for doing their job correctly. Maybe there's just a way to be more proactive with them, and then that can kind of bleed out into the rest of your life. And I think that also helps with then accepting compliments.
3: It is starting with your staff, because it's a fertile ground of 10 hours a day of human. You know, so much corporate structure is don't be personally involved. There's such a lack of humanity in the workplace. And I say, screw it. Like we've got to add in the humanity into what we're doing. So complimenting them, thanking them, receiving compliments, be in your flow so that you're adding in more of the woman into your job as opposed to extracting the boss at home, right? Which is impossible. But what you can do is filter in a little bit more sweetness into your day. And that way you'll be in the rhythm and the practice when these men call you of receiving, giving compliments, receiving. If somebody gives you a compliment, don't go, oh, no, no, that's nothing. Say, thank you so much. Put your hand on your heart and just go, thank you. That's so beautiful. I really appreciate that. I remember my brother saying that part of the reason why it, it was hard with his wife is that it was very difficult for her to receive compliments. Men look to women to receive compliments because it's like a little present, right? It's a gift that somebody is giving you. Who are you not to receive it? And people who get compliments give a lot of I give about a thousand compliments a day. And I get about a thousand compliments a day. And I don't give them to get. I give them because I can't help myself. When I see something, I want to express it as quickly as possible. And then what's happened is in my life, I get those people around me that are kind and complimentary and giving. That's part of that trust and that faith and that allowing and that receiving. So I love what Anna said, which is start with the staff. I know we're talking about men today, but this is your practice ground.
4: Exactly. I can practice on my staff and my friends and then move on to the men.
3: Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> You've had a busy life. You've raised five children. You probably raised a couple of husbands. And you have a staff that you probably feel like you need to raise, although I think that they probably don't need it as much as you may think. I have no idea. And I bet you're a fucking awesome mom and an amazing partner. And I'm excited for you. I think, Lori, the world is yours. I think you're rad. <laughs> I want to hear all about
4: your dating adventures. I'm going to tell you all about it. I promise you.
1: Lori, did we help you, do you think?
4: Thank you, girls, very much for the advice. Love you both.
1: You're awesome, Lori. Love you. Love you, too. <laughs> Bye, Lori. Bye. I love you and thank you. I love you, babe. It's so good to see you. You too. Bye, April. Bye.